Uh, Let's open our Bibles to the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 4. Romans chapter number 4. I'm going to begin, begin reading in verse number 18. Matthew, Mark, Romans chapter number 4. That would be confusing if... Okay, it's not Matthew, Mark, Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. It's feeling guilty about that. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. I have, I have had a few people ask me, why do we stand out of reverence for the reading at the beginning, but we don't stand for reverence the rest of the time? Not a bad question. And here's why, in case others are wondering. The reason that I think that it's healthy and good for church to stand initially as we open into, as the Tyndall called, the preaching hour, which I like. In this time of preaching, I think it's good to stand out of reverence, remembering where the content of this comes. And even though it is not an act that we feel must be compulsory, we don't have to do this every time. I tend to, but it's helpful, or at least I want it to be helpful, to remind us all that this book that we hold is God-breathed Scripture. And we ought to reverence it at all times. And that's why I do this. I don't know if it always accomplishes its purpose and perhaps it's even caused for some more questions than answers. But that's the reason why. So we always reverence God's Word But sometimes it's good at the beginning as we enter into this preaching that we remember what it is founded on. So with that in mind, as we look at this God-breathed book and we look to Romans chapter 4, I would like for you to look intently at what the Bible says beginning in verse number 18. The Bible says, Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. If you have not caught on to whom is being referenced here, from the beginning of the chapter, verse number 1, what shall we say then that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? And much of the content, almost all of the content in Romans chapter number 4 is in reference to Abraham and also David and those those men that were mighty in faith. And as we read that opening verse of our emphasis this evening, verse number 18, we're reminded that he did believe in hope, as the Bible says, against hope, that he would become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Verse number 19, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also. 
to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. I can't stop. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray that as we rest here in your word and as we are instructed by your word, I pray that it would be the work of your Holy Spirit that does the heavy lifting of our heart. And we're asking these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we enter into this examination, this rather brief, incredibly condensed examination of Abraham's life, there is a word, just one word, that leapt off or leaped, depending on what the proper grammar is supposed to be, it jumped off the page at me, and I thought, wow, what a peculiar word for Scripture. As I looked at it, I came to to discover that this is the only place, so that I have found, that this word shows up in Scripture. Now, the Greek word that it's translated from shows up a number of different times, and we're going to get to that here in just a moment. But I hope that I've at least whetted your appetite, piqued your interest to some degree as to what this word is. Jim, do you know what it is? Good. Good. Here it is. Look at verse number 20, and I want you to take a look at the second word, staggered. In fact, the Bible says in verse number 20 that concerning Abraham, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. What a peculiar way of saying that. Often we feel that either you have faith or you don't. But here in this realm of the in-between, there is this idea that a man with faith can stagger in it. The word stagger, we might be familiar with in the English, I hope that you are, it is translated from the Greek word diakrino. Diacrino is translated five times this way in our King James Bibles. It's translated as doubt or doubting. Not the complete rejection of an idea, but the partial acceptance, but yet at arm's length, the, the, the partial denial as well. In fact, we have it this way in Acts chapter 10, verse number 20, that same word, diacrino. Arise, therefore, and get thee down. And he's speaking, the Lord's speaking with Peter now, telling him to go to the Gentiles um, after that um, manifestation of, you know, kill and eat what um, I have called clean, call not thou unclean. And he's seeking that Peter will go to Cornelius' house. Acts chapter 10, verse number 20. The Lord tells him, Arise, therefore, and get thee down, and go with them. And here is our word, doubting, Nothing. Doubting, diacrino, the same word that is staggered, doubting nothing. And then it's followed up by this in Acts 10.20. You should look at it yourself perhaps later this evening. Here's the next phrase. Doubting nothing, for I have sent them. 
For I have sent them. Five times diacrino is, is translated in our Bibles as, as to doubt or doubting. Two times it's translated this way, that same word diacrino as waver or wavereth. Uh, an example of that, James chapter 1 verse number 6, the Bible says, but let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering diacrino, the same word as stagger here. Nothing wavering. For he that, here it is again, wavereth diacrino, staggering. He that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. And I have experienced these moments in my life where I cannot say, I have unstaggered faith. Where I can't say as much as I want to say that I'm unflinching. And absolutely committed to this. However, in those moments, I can't come over here and say, I've forsaken it all. Ain't no way God's going to do that. There's no, 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 no way he's going to use me for that. There's no way he's going to bring me out of this. And I am somewhere in the middle of these two things. And if I could use a few of the words now translated from our root word here, diacrina, I am in this space staggering a bit. I'm, I, I'm wavering back and forth or I'm in doubt. And I, I'm not in a place where my faith is as strong as what the Lord would have it to be. And this evening I would like to preach on, on this title, Staggered or Strengthened. Staggered or Strengthened. Because in this space, it is not a place where the Lord intends for us to stay. Because of the words and the way that, that the apostles instruct those early believers and the way that the Holy Spirit instructs us, the Lord is well aware that every believer at times is going to end up in this place between committed faith and rejected faith. And is often going to find himself in this place where he is staggered, where he is wavering, or, or where he is doubting. And I want to draw us to that reality and to that one time that it's mentioned here in Scripture concerning Abraham. And I would like for us to learn from this because I believe that when we get to this place and realize that our faith is staggering, where there is doubt, where there is an overwhelming fear or wavering nature to what we feel God has promised us or has compelled us towards, then there should be a response. Now, I want to say this, and I'm sorry that introduction is so laborious at this point, but I think this is so key. I don't want to step down from behind the pulpit tonight and have you scratching your head and say, what do we do with that? So I want to give it to you now. When we end up in this place where our faith is staggered, I believe with all my heart that God's desire is for us to pursue the strengthening of faith. Now that may seem like a simple Sunday school answer. And the reality is it 
It is a very simple answer, but it's what we need. Sometimes there is depth and complexity to the answers that God is seeking to reveal to us. But sometimes there is a cross on a hill on a hill that is unmistakable. Sometimes there is an empty tomb and an angel saying, don't look for him here because he's up there. And it is that simple. And that is where we're at right here. And here is why I greatly appreciate the simplicity of this is because when you find yourself between rejection of faith and confidence of faith, everything seems confusing. Well, well, does he want me to do this? Or did he, does he want me to do that? Or, or did he really ask me to do this? Or, or did I just fabricate that in my mind? And should I move or should I quit my job? Should I seek this relationship? Should I move on to this? And life, when our faith is wavering, gets complicated. So thank the Lord that sometimes... There are simple answers to complex problems. To strengthen our faith, the simplest method is to go to Scripture. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says this, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, I know that sometimes we sense that our faith is strengthened when we hear some incredible testimony and we think, wow, what an amazing God. And, and we do get a little, may I say, charged up about things. I know I do. I, I'll hear a missionary story about some man who has made incredible sacrifice or how the Lord has taken someone into the dark recesses of some jungle and just revival is broken out among these heathen people. And I'm thinking, yes, like my God is real and he is able and it stirs my heart. But let me tell you, that is not the scriptural guidance for strength and faith. Let's not confuse an enthusiasm of faith for a strengthening of faith. An enthusiasm can take place over something small that we have, but a strengthening takes place when that small thing becomes unmovable. It becomes attached to something that is firm, attached to something that is fixed. And the only thing firm and fixed in this world is what is in your lap. It is the word of God. And when we find ourselves staggered, we also need to find ourselves strengthened. So that's going to be our focus tonight. The strengthening of Abraham's faith. How was it that he was able to get to a point where he was able to say that he staggered not? He staggered not. I staggered there. He staggered not at the promise of God. Now let me get this out of the way. And again, forgive me for the length of the introduction. I'll try to keep my eye on the clock here. Our immediate response is, well, he's Abraham. Like he met with God. He's Abraham. He had all these promises. He's Abraham. He was the one chosen from the Ur of the Chaldees to come over. And, and God promised him that he was going to give him a land. Like he was Abraham. And there was only one Abraham. Well, you're right about one thing. There's only one Abraham, but you're wrong about the rest. He was just a man. And, and even though it says here that he staggered not at the promise. Did you know there's other times where he did stagger? 
Yeah, if you remember, uh, there was this time where he comes into, we'll say, some threatening territory, and he's worried about the king, he's worried about the ruler killing him off and stealing his wife. So out of fear and not faith, he lies that that's even his wife and says, no, that's my sister. You remember the whole thing. And where did that come from? What did that flow out of? His faith had staggered. Did God not say that he would promise that, that he would protect him and care for him on this journey? I'll give you another time. How about this one? How about the time that God promised him that he would have a son and that son would be the, the son of promise from his wife, Sarah. And it didn't happen for a little while. And, and Sarah comes to him and says, you know what, Abraham, I'm old. I just don't know that this is going to happen. So how about you take my handmaid, Hagar, and why don't you just lie with her and have a child with her? And that's probably how God's going to fulfill his promise. And that dummy did that. I don't know what he was thinking. Just a little side note, not that this message needs any side notes, but it's kind of funny how when people that are close to us give us recommendations of how we can fulfill God's promise for ourselves, it's, it's interesting how influential that is and how easy it is to say, well, okay, yeah, I trust you. That's why his face staggered. He had more of his faith in what Sarah was saying than in the word of God. So don't look at Abraham and say, well, this is about Abraham and his faith was, so, faith was so strong and he was such a great man and he walked with God and I'm not Abraham. I don't have a beard. I didn't have that promise. Like I don't have all this together. No, Abraham struggled just like you do. Go back and read the story. You will cringe at what the Bible says about him. You'll cringe about it. I can't believe he did that. And we cringe at ourselves too because we get to this space where our faith staggers, don't we? So now, let's take a look at some things in Abraham's life concerning his faith. The first one is this. Number one, that Abraham's faith was well-placed. Abraham's faith was well-placed. Placed. And when you are in this space of things spiritually, between confidence and rejection, you need to take a real close look at how well placed your faith actually is. Let me give you some example from Scripture, if I could, and, and this will be the initial part, Abraham's faith well placed, the direction of his faith. Look at the direction of this faith that is well placed. In verse number 20, it says that he staggered not. Notice the next three or the next few words. At the promise of God. At the promise of God. There was no points of separation between Abraham's placement of faith and the very promise that God was making. If I could illustrate it this way, he wasn't placing his faith there because some pastor or preacher told him to place it there. No, there may have been godly men in his life that said, yes, Abraham, place your faith on God's word. Place your faith in God's word. But there is a difference between saying, you know what, pastor, I'm gonna trust you and saying, you know what, God, I'm trusting you. 
My job is not to get between you and God. My job is to get you to God. Get you following God. And the only way to accurately do that is to say, open your Bible, expose your Bible, read your Bible, listen to the Spirit, remove the things in your life. I mean, I basically preach like three different sermons just a thousand different ways. One of them goes like this. You're a sinner, you need to get saved. The other one goes like this. You're saved, you need to get right. And the other one goes like this. You're doing right, but you could get better. So I don't even know why you come here. I mean, you just heard every sermon I've ever preached or will preach. (laughs) I mean, that's the feat to it. That's the feat to it. Every time I pour my heart out and, and try to call you just to see him, and try to call you just to see him high and holy and lifted up, I'm just saying we could all do better. And what Abraham needed, if he was going to have unstaggering faith, is that he needed to know that the direction of his faith faith was towards what God had said specifically. I am thankful for the men in my life who have been so advantageous for my faith, both in their example of godly living, their preaching, their godly counsel, the only thing that's got the ability to strengthen us is the word itself. Not some presentation of the word, not some fancy illustration of the word, not the word when it is softly spoken by my voice or when I get all excited about it. No, it's the word itself. And if you are placing your faith on the emotions that were caused by the revelation of the word initially, then when those emotions go away, you're going to end up right here. I just don't feel it anymore, Pastor. Faith is not a feeling. It is a reality. Does it not say in Hebrews 11 that faith is the substance? What does that mean? It is the reality of things not seen. It is the substance of things not seen. It is the evidence of things hoped for. We are here to look at God's word and realize that it is not, our faith is not about the emotions we felt when we first heard the promise or the news or felt forgiven, or in his presence. No, all those things are wonderful. I'm a pretty emotional guy. I like getting excited. But sometimes that enthusiasm is not there. That might shock you, but it's true. Sometimes those feelings aren't there. Sometimes I get in my devotions and I feel so dead. And I've got to read the words. I've got to focus on what's being said. Oh, and what happens when that happens? When I start focusing on what's being said, and that faith begins to strengthen, not from the outside in, but from the inside out, then the 
emotions may come. But then my mind begins to grasp the truth of what's being said. Our faith is an intellectual faith to some degree because it's not based on a feeling nor an experience. It's based on God's word. And that is so important because the only thing that will not fumble and will not falter, that that will not quake or shake or be done away with is the word of God. His word is established in heaven and earth and not one jot or tittle will be taken away till all is fulfilled and let us rest and place our faith here. The direction of his faith was well placed. The duration of his faith was well placed. The duration of his faith now, it was based on things. Oh, I, I missed a reference, and I almost never do this, but I'm going back. The direction of his faith, well-placed. Remember how we read in verse number 20? Of course you did, because you were paying attention. You probably wrote it down. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Do you know it emphasizes this one more time? Look at verse number 18. He says that, who against hope believed in hope. And we're going to come back to that phrase in a moment. That he might become the father of many nations. Listen very carefully and read these next words. What? According to that which was spoken. And that which was spoken was spoken not by man, but by God. You want to get back to a place where your faith is unstaggered? Get to a place where you are grabbing firmly hold of what God has said. Abraham's faith was well placed. The direction of it. The duration of it. The duration of it. Look with me at verse number 18. Here we are. Who against hope believed in hope that he might Notice this word, become the father of many nations. It is so easy for us to sit back and say, well, Abraham's faith was unstaggering because it happened. But when he first received that word, it hadn't happened. And sometimes we do get weary in that well-doing of faith, that we do become fatigued because we don't see those things coming to fruition. And what better way to describe that person who's on the outside looking in than what is said here at the beginning of verse number 18, who against hope believed in hope. And here we are hoping that God fulfills his promise, hoping that he's going to return. Now I know that you Bible scholars in the room like you, you're already way ahead of me on this. So let me catch up to you. But when the Bible says hope, it's not talking about hope like we talk about hope. They're like, really, really hope that it doesn't rain tomorrow, but we know it might. No, that when the Bible says hope, it is a confidence. It is a, it is a knowing expectation. I know this thing's coming, but it's not here yet. So what word do we use to describe that? Hope. That's what gives me hope. That's why I still have hope because I know it's going to happen. That's why we call it the blessed hope because his return is imminent. It's going to happen. It is absolutely certain. And because we know this, we can put our faith there. We can place it there throughout any measure of time. 
And if God gives us a promise that is unfulfilled today, then if we are understanding by his word that promise correctly, then I'm saying that answer is coming. That answer is coming. It may not be today. It may not be tomorrow. It may not be next month. It may not be next week. It may not be next year. But that promise is coming. Now notice I said, if we understand it through his word correctly, because we can come up with all kind of manner of business and say, well, God promised me this and God promised me that. And I understand that the heart of man, and I struggle with this too, at the heart of man, it is so easy for us to put ideas and promises in the mouth of God. Oh, and that's why it's so important that we come to his word and we receive his instruction, his confidence, his promise by his word. See, Abraham's faith was well placed. In the placement of that faith, we see its direction, we see its duration. We also see its determination. I'm going to have to speed up, but I've got to give you these quickly. We're still in verse number 18. Who against... Hope, believed in hope. Sometimes holding on to your faith doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I don't have, and I haven't really covered as far as I want to in Sunday school yet anyways, but we're talking about the problem of pragmatism or the problem of just logically um, analyzing our life without considering the work of God, which is sometimes outside of the normal logic and reason. Did you know that even though science doesn't like to admit it, there is a scientific law that matter cannot be created or destroyed? Don't know if you knew that or not. There's a scientific law. I wish the scientific community would wrap their minds around that. That would mean, if matter cannot be created or destroyed, how on earth can everything come from nothing? It had to be supernatural. It had to be outside the realm of logic and, and the realm of reason. It, it, there had to be a force greater than what we can deduce by what we can see and touch and feel and taste. There must be something greater. And when Abraham believed in hope, against hope, what the Bible is trying to say to us is that sometimes when we place faith well, it won't make sense. It will not make sense to anybody else. It might not even make sense to us, but we are propelled forward and he refused to listen to reason. I love this. Not only did he refuse to listen to reason, but he refused to listen to reality. Now, I am not promoting, like, just live in la-la land, everybody. <laughs> hey, everything's fine. Everything's wonderful. No, sometimes things are not fine or wonderful. But when you place your faith in the hope of his word, something unique happens. Look at verse number 19. You see, the reality is the body fails. But when verse number 19, the Bible says that he, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. You know what all his friends were saying? It's like, Abraham, you're too old. Your body is Past child-rearing years. Your body's dead, Abraham. When he was about 100 years old. All of Sarah's friends getting together at Starbucks and they're hanging out. And, you know, she's older, so she's, you know, black coffee. Hot. In a cup. 
Meanwhile, all of her friends are gathered around, and they're like, you know, I want this creamy smoothie latte with sugar and cream. I'll sip it out of a straw because it's got ice in it. When did coffee get ice? Everybody's sitting around. Sarah's there, and she's like, I'm going to have... I'm going to have a baby. (laughs) And all of her friends are like, no, you're not. (laughs) We're going to take you to the care home. (laughs) You see, it it was uh, was kind of against reality, wasn't it? It was against reality. And, And sometimes we get so pragmatic, we get so influenced by our own ability to reason. And this is what's really happening. And this is really what I wanted to to emphasize with this point, both against reason and against reality, is that what happens is we start start moving ourselves further and further away from what God's word says. And if, if we have absolute confidence, like here is the, the confident faith and, and over here is the complete um, rejection of, of, of faith, that the, the more we move away from this, the closer we get here. And, and what often happens is not that we say, well, I just don't want to believe the Bible anymore. Often what happens is, well, I know it says this, but, but you know, I can kind of figure that maybe this is the case. And like, if I look at all of the, you know, the factors and kind of weigh all the reality of it, then, you know, maybe this might happen. And and it's not that we go from one extreme to the other intentionally or because we completely rejected God's word. Typically what happens is we start adding things to our process of decision-making, which aren't part of God's word. And, And all this is saying is that when you finally get down to verse number 20. You only get to verse 20 through the door of verse number 18 and through the hallway of verse number 19. The door of 18, I'm hoping in this thing against hope. The hallway, I'm just going to ignore the reality that I'm old and so is my wife. And see, when we, we get to this place where our faith is staggered, once again, the answer is simple. If we're going to find strength, sometimes we have to put away the reason of our logic and our intellect and this master plan that we have figured out in our own mind, and we just need to come back to God's Word. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Faith, Abraham's faith was well-placed. The next thing I want you to notice about Abraham's faith here is not just that it was well-placed, but his faith was well-pleasing. It was well-pleasing. Now, there's two things that I want to say about this, and I'm going to try so hard not to get them convoluted and confuse you and me both at the same time. Because the first principle is this, that, that we know and and maybe you're even thinking this is the direction I'm going with it, that our faith is pleasing to God, right? We all know that from the front row to the back. We all know that the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So so let's let that be established, that if we are going to live a life whose purpose is to bring glory to God, it must be by faith. 
It doesn't matter what you do in this life. If it's not by faith, the Lord's not really pleased by it. You're doing it in your own devices. He's not receiving any of the glory. But when we come to him and believe that he is, that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and we cast all of our strength and all of our reliance on him and say, Lord, I don't understand it, but I'm trusting in you. The Lord says, all right, now we're cooking. Some of the most incredible things that God did from Genesis through Revelation are mentioned in Hebrews chapter number 11, and they begin with this phrase, by faith. It's pleasing to God. But here is our problem. Sometimes we get so self-centered that we, we don't realize it, but, but we stop caring about what's pleasing to God and we start caring about what's pleasing to us. Now, it is not my desire to preach a, hey, please yourselves, everyone, kind of message. However, I want you to notice what it says here about, about Abraham in verse 21. The Bible says, and being fully persuaded... That what he had promised, what God had promised, he was able also to perform it. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, I do not think that this is a stretch at all. And you're welcome to put yourself in the sandals of Abraham and, and look at this verse yourself and see what you think about it. But this is what I think. In verse 21, when it says, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, God was able also to perform. In other words, Abraham's sitting there and he's looking at two paths in front of him. There is this path of faith and then there is path of his own performance, logic, and understanding. And when he looks down to the end of both of those paths, he was more persuaded that God's path he was going to have pleasure in than in the world's path or in his reasoning. And, and this is what I think helped propel Abraham is that Abraham's faith was not just pleasing to God, but as Abraham lived by faith, he realized, well, this is kind of pleasing to me. I know we're not supposed to be self-centered and it's, it's not about I'm just doing this for my, own, for my own pleasure, but I think that it helps when we endure that, that weeping for a night, but we stay faithful and when we realize that joy cometh in the morning, oh my, that, that weeping, you know what, you can almost become grateful for it. Because you saw God's hand in it. And there were some challenging times for Abraham. I've never had to stand on top of a mountain with a knife raised, ready to plunge it into my child. It was a challenging time. And this might sound crazy to your ears, but Abraham was persuaded that this was not only the right thing, but it was the best thing. And as he begins to move that knife down, I'm sure that if you were to talk to him now, he'd say, boy, I, I had a lot more fun letting God do what God did in that situation than if I'd have just said no to the Lord. Amen. And that's what I want you to see this evening. We look at, at 
our faith and the things that it requires. And sometimes we get upset because, oh, this is not a fun, not as fun. I gotta, I gotta go to church all the time and there's a certain way I'm supposed to live and, and I'm not supposed to live for myself. I'm supposed to live for him. Well, do you know if you do that out of a love for the Lord, it is intensely rewarding. There is no accident that those who live for themselves, it is no accident that their suicide rate is just as high as everybody else. It's because when you pour into your own pleasure, you will discover that it's not all that pleasurable. But when you serve the one that we were created to serve, there is pleasure in it. There is joy in it. And when you're in this place and you begin weighing these options between strengthening your faith towards an unstaggered position or casting it all together away, take a look into the persuasion of Abraham that he said, not only is this well-pleasing to God, but it's pleasing to me. It's pleasing to me. I love it when we have testimony services. I, I, I just love it when we um, open our lips, interrupt the order that was printed out on the paper, and just give glory to God. And, and really, I, I really think that what that is, it's really just a customer satisfaction survey. That's what it is. It's, it's just one customer of God's grace saying how good it is and how glad they are that they persevered by faith. Is it ironic to anyone else in here that so many of our testimony stories start with this incredibly difficult situation and then end with God's gracious hand of mercy? But it's in that difficult situation where sometimes we weigh out. Staggering. Is this really worth it? We say, am I going to strengthen my faith or not? And we do that pragmatic thing of just kind of looking to the end result and say, well, which one's better? And we forget what he promised. If I go this way, I know I can get that. But if I go this way, I really don't know what God's going to do. That's faith. That's faith. Abraham's faith was well placed. Abraham's faith was well pleasing. And Abraham's faith was well preserved. Hopefully this one will help you with the pleasing one. Can we just all admit that we have no idea what God's going to do with the circumstances of our life? Like, could we just admit that? You might think you know, you don't know. Because <laughs> you don't know what's coming tomorrow. You know, five years ago, if you had told me I'd be living in Knoxville, Tennessee, I would have laughed hysterically at you, probably rudely. First off, because my father-in-law graduated from the University of Tennessee and I don't like the Vols. <laughs> my heart has changed. Paul said he became all things to all men, so go Vols. <laughs> I'd have never come to Knoxville. And I don't mean that as a, as a slight against the city or against you fine residents of this city. But it just wasn't in my plan. I've never guessed it. You understand? And, and, and here's what else I can't guess. I can't guess what he's going to do tomorrow. 
That's why it's so exciting to live by faith. I love this stuff. <laughs> Sometimes it's scary. <laughs> but man, it's like I don't know what he's going to do. And, and that's why it is so important to be faithful. One of these days, I'm going to write a book on the correlation between faith and faithfulness. It is so woven together. Man, I am telling you, that's why it is so important to be faithful right now, even when you don't know what he's going to do tomorrow, even if you think you know what he's going to do tomorrow and you're afraid of what that is, you stay faithful today because Abraham, I don't think he would have ever said, you know what, I, I think I'm going to, you know, sacrifice my son and the Lord's going to use it to show the whole world about Jesus Christ. Abraham didn't even know the name Jesus. Do you realize that? He knew of a promise, but he did not know the person. He didn't know the name Jesus. But look at what our Bibles say. This, I love the depth of scripture here. Remember how we stood out of reverence for its reading? Oh, if there was ever a time to stand, maybe it would be now. So in our hearts, let's do just that as we remember that when Abraham was going through his trials of faith, God was intending to write this story in Romans 4 to teach a whole bunch of people about Jesus. Look at what it says as we read down through here, verse number 21, and being fully persuaded that he had promised he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone, but it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. I'm going to bring this to a close, but do you see what God was doing? Like we can look back and see it now. Why? Because we're strengthening our faith in his word. That Abraham, his faith was well preserved. In other words, the action of his faith in that day and age was preserved even for us who are here today. And he never would have guessed that you even would exist in time. He didn't even know that the Gentiles were going to be part of this thing. And now here we are. But he didn't have to know. All he needed to know is what would the Lord have me to do? And that's what he did. And look at how the Lord used it. And the Lord is not going to pen another book of the Bible and inscribe your name. But he might use your faith to impact another generation, another land, another person, another life. We have no idea what God's going to do. So when you find yourself in that place of staggered faith. And you're trying to choose and discern what to do. I beg you, choose strengthening. Choose strengthening. Don't reject it. Don't get overly discouraged because even Abraham was in a place that was in doubt at times. But when we're staggered, Let's choose strength.